The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. I have a couple of charming guests to whom to introduce you today. After the first break, I will be bringing on, oh, my gosh, the ultra-inspiring Jim Morris. He is 80 years old, and he is a bodybuilder still. Incredible, incredible guy. I know that you will want to be listening in for him. And right now, we are going to be talking with Tim Barford from VegFest UK. Now, as you know, I travel around quite a bit. I was just in Toronto this weekend for their VegFest, amazing, amazing festival. So a shout out to everybody that I met uh, up in Canada. You guys are fabulous and wonderful and so calm and peaceful. You always inspire me. And this weekend, anybody in the Philadelphia area, I'm going to be doing the Vegan Spirituality Retreat for Indefensive Animals. So if you want to spend a lovely day in the country, it's Gladwin, Pennsylvania, just outside Philly. Um, check that out. You can go to Indefensive Animals for that information. Or just go to the show notes for this show. We've started putting on MainStreetVegan.net slash blog show notes that have uh, all kinds of URLs and notes and information on the uh, radio show that just happened live, the most current podcast. So do check that out. And one of the things that will be on my travel schedule just coming up in early October is, oh my gosh, getting to go to my favorite place on the planet. And that is London, England, United Kingdom for VegFest UK. So it's a special, special privilege always to speak with him. And I know his his, uh, partner and What's the opposite of crime? His partner in changing the world, <laughs> Alan, is, is over there as well. Tim Barford is the organizer of VegFest UK. There are four such festivals each year, Brighton, Bristol, London, and Glasgow, making these among Europe's leading vegan events. 
Tim also founded the UK's first hemp company called Yayo back in 2002. Welcome to the show, Tim. Hi, Victoria. Hi. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful to hear you. So you got a big old veg fest coming up in London in early October. What's new this year? Okay, yeah, that's right. It is. It's coming up about three weeks away now. Uh, it's getting really exciting. Um, uh, the whole program is set. It's all there, and uh, including your good self, which is amazing. We always love having you. Uh, and what's really interesting, actually, Victoria, I've noticed you're doing two talks this year. Uh, and one is kind of about the health aspects and how, how wonderful it is to live off a vegan diet. And then I noticed also you're doing a talk more about focused on vegan activism and more about, you know, the ethos and the whole lifestyle. Uh, and that actually reflects very much about how VegFest UK is this year, very much looking at the health aspects uh, and environmental aspects and the benefits of the whole plant-based diet approach but then also a very clear look at the activism and the whole ethos and the effectiveness of our activism. And that's something that's very, very interesting for a lot of people. Um, so that's what's happening this year. Uh, we've got, you know, whole kind of health thing. And, of course, all the stalls, all the usual stuff, you know, all the good stuff like all the kids' stuff. And you've got the cinemas and the comedians and, of course, the food and the shopping. But, yeah, this focus on health and then activism is, is really interesting. Yeah. Now, I feel that in the States, maybe we lean a little bit more toward the health. And in the U.K., I think you guys have really got the ethics down. Am I reading that right? Well, well, you know, let's remember that, that for instance, you know, the Vegan Society, uh, which is the, the sort of founding... Um, fathers and parents, as it were, the founding people of the vegan ethos was goes back to Donald Watson in the, just coming out of the war in 1944, 45, 46. That's when the whole vegan ethos was really kind of founded and put 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 into action. And the vegan society still has an uninterrupted link. And there's a real feeling, I think, in the UK now about the importance of, of the ethos of the vegan vision. It's, it's more than a diet. It's more even than a lifestyle. It's, it's a whole philosophical approach. Uh, it's a vision. And it's the most broad, far-reaching vision that I think humanity has ever had. And it's, it's coming alive as we see it. Uh, and it's so exciting. Um, but, yeah, I think it's really important that we remember that the vegan ethos is unique. And it's so much more than just a diet. Uh, that's not to say it's not a big part is diet. Of course, of course. You know, we, <laughs> we love food. You know, let's be honest. We do adore food. Uh, we're very lucky if we eat all the time. Um, but, but, but it's also clear that vegan is so much more than a diet. And I think that's going to be clear more and more and more. And certainly that's one of the purposes of VegFest UK, the, the People's Activist Summit at London this year, is to, is to explore that and clarify it and help shape our activism 
so that it's it's more effective. I love that. I was recently given a copy of a very old book, a 1956 book called Why Kill for Food by Jeffrey Rudd, is an English fellow. And that was actually the first book that I ever read about vegetarianism when I was 17 years old. And, and the very first line, the introduction to the preface, says something about on the value of reason and having a philosophy of life. And I think that's really important because this is a whole philosophy of life. It's based around non-killing, and then it goes out from there to just embrace so much and be so exciting. And, you know, people are always going to come up with some study that says something else or some opinion or some diet, but, but this strong moral imperative that life is sacred, that's pretty special. Absolutely, and that's a joy to hear you say that because because it is about a moral choice. It's about it's about justice. It's about it's about rights. Yes. It's about it's about rejecting violence. You know, the whole vegan thing is is so much more. It it crosses into the whole you know concept of, of, of intersectionality. Uh, it's it's such a far reaching concept. I mean, it's really it's really. You know, relatively easy to grasp, but it's based on not exploiting. Exactly. It's a relatively concept to grasp, but put it into practice is challenging in different ways. Because depending on where you you are and what your your, your environment and circumstances are, you know, living a whole true vegan ethos can be challenging or, or not, as the case may be, but to grasp the concept, that is, that is, you know, that's easy. It's, it's well, rejecting violence. It's a challenge and it's an adventure. And that's why I love the Veg Fest. And your festival is so rich and full and dynamic. And it's the kind of thing where people really should consider coming both days because you have <laughs> so many amazing speakers. And it really takes two days to just get through all the stalls. I mean, I've never seen so many vegan products of every sort. So just tell us some of the highlights. Who are some of the speakers this year? Well, you know, Saturday is a health day. And so the focus is on health. And we've got some amazing people coming. Um, A whole health summit. In fact, two health summits. Uh, Viva um, are organizing a health summit. And that's, you know, people like Julie Galatly. Uh, Veronica Powell, they're very, very accomplished uh, and educated people uh, with a lot of knowledge and experience. Uh, We're just thrilled, you know. Um, But Professor Tom Sanders, uh, now he's one of the most knowledgeable nutritionists, vegan nutritionist studies in the world. He's incredibly uh, uh, admired and and respected uh, nutritionist. Tony Bishop Weston, his wife, Yvonne Bishop Weston. Uh, many people come in, Jane Plant, wonderful people on the Saturday, and of course your good self. Um, uh, and we've got a debate about raw versus cooked food, you know, whether you're better off on a re- vegan raw food or vegan cooked or combinations. Um, Sunday is really shaping up to be interesting too. Uh, especially with uh, the activist summit, um, Kim Stallwood, 
is um, heading up um, uh, a big area about the vegan vision. He's got some fantastic guests, one of whom I think we'll come to in a bit. Uh, and then uh, Professor Francioni is coming over from America, which is amazing. We're actually thrilled. Professor's coming over to present the abolitionist approach. That's caused um, a lot of interest. There's a lot of people very excited to see. Oh. Uh, yeah, he, he brings up a lot of excitement. He's going to be a guest on our show November 4th. And he's had to reschedule a couple of times, and people are like, when's he coming? When's he coming? Well, you know, he's an interested guy. I, I, I love him. I think he's brilliant. I just think he's, he's incredible. I think yeah. we're really lucky. And I think he's very misunderstood. But I, I just think he's great. And I've got a couple of his books to read when I go on holiday soon. Yeah, uh, that's great. Along with other activists. And, I, you know, look, we don't all agree, all of us, but the important thing is to learn to engage respectfully, uh, take on board ideas, critique. You know, we're, we're, we're at the threshold of a whole social justice movement. Well, we and are once, indeed. And on that, I'm you know, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I'm looking at our time. But on that topic... Yeah. You have a vegan member of parliament, yeah. Carrie McCarthy, who's, who's from yeah. your city. So yeah. just in, in our last couple of minutes here, she was just promoted to something in the agriculture arena, and she's a vegan. I don't yeah. think that would happen over here. She is, look, it's incredible. Carrie McCarthy's wonderful. She's just a wonderful, adorable person. She's just amazing. She's got so many qualities. She's been an MP for 10 years now, and she's... Uh, now being elected to the Shadow Cabinet under the new Jeremy Corbyn uh, Shadow Cabinet. Jeremy Corbyn is the new leader of the Labour Party. Uh, and he, again, he goes right back to the original kind of socialist ethos and revolutionary uh, approach, uh, indeed. Uh, um, and, 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 and Kerry is vegan for a long time now. and She's going to have a real influence. She's looking after her, her portfolio, includes environment, farmers, um, and, and Carrie's one of these people who I think will work really hard towards helping farmers develop sustainable vegan crops. You know, uh, she, 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 it's not about just shutting down this and closing down that. It's about finding positive, sustainable solutions uh, like, like farming hemp, uh, farming, you know, vegan products that are good for people, good for the animals and good for the environment, good for sustainable food. Uh, and Kerry's really big on developing countries, helping developing countries, understanding. And, you know, she's amazing. She's an ethical vegan too. Mm. And although, although, of course, of course, she's not perfect, she's, she's always going to be hampered by her constraints of, you know, the, the, the environment she works in. Nevertheless, she is a superb contribution, and I'm honoured that she's going to be a guest at VegFest too, so you can come and say hello. Oh, that's thrilling. I absolutely will. So everybody, if you're in Europe, if you want to go to Europe, uh, the VegFest in London is going to be happening October 10 and 11. You yep. can go to london.vegfest.co.uk, and I will put all that in the show notes, or just Google VegFest UK. You will find it. So in, in our last second here, Tim, give me the three restaurants in London I absolutely should not miss. Okay, well, 
Uh, we just had a lovely dinner at 222 Veggie Vegan, which is beautiful. We had that the other night. That was just awesome. There is some really good ones called Seiko in town, like that, that are just do vegetarian food. They're really sort of quite straightforward and not expensive. But the best one is the one that we're inviting you to, actually, Victoria. And uh, you're invited now. The official announcement of the Pig Freud fundraising tour for vegan regional activism uh, is launched at La Suite Raw, and you are on the guest list. So you'll be getting <laughs> your invites soon. La oh, Suite well. Raw, the best vegan restaurant in town. Well, well, I accept. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank- L- London is just magical. I, I was in London for seven days when I was 17 years old. And I was just, I felt the talk of the town, the toast of the town, because somehow I knew all these amazing people. I, I knew the Yardbirds, and I knew one of the Beatles managers. And I had this incredible seven days. And now I feel like, gosh, it's happening over again because I'm not even there yet, and I already have a date for dinner. So thank you so very much. <laughs> Thanks for all you do, Tim and Alan in the background. It's VegFest UK. Hope to see you guys, uh, you listeners, in October. And I know I'll see you, Tim and Alan. Thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks, oh, Victoria. Uh, we look forward to it. Love it. Love it. Can't wait to see you again. Thanks. All the best. Ta-ra. <laughs> Everybody else, stay with us. We'll be back with the incredible, inspiring fitness at every age guru, Jim Morris. Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world. We count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. What if you could experience vibrant health? Help heal the planet and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. 
The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I just cannot tell you how pleased I am to be introducing Jim Morris. I was telling him during the break, you know, sometimes you hear about people and you say, oh, well, they, they seem like they're doing good in the world or they seem admirable or, well, ooh, that's a touching story. And then you just kind of forget about it. But from the time I heard the story of Jim Morris, what he's accomplished in his life, what he's been through, what he's come back from, and just his beautiful energy and his beautiful ethical vegan stance on life. I am just such a fan and really, really honored to have him on the show. Also sending a thank you out to Robert Cheek, who's been a guest on the show, who uh, put me in touch with Jim. So for those of you who need more of an introduction, Jim Morris was the AAU Mr. America in 1973. Shortly thereafter, he was inducted into the Physical Fitness Hall of Fame. But here's what's even cooler. He was inducted into the Muscle Beach Hall of Fame and the Mr. America Hall of Fame this year, 2015. And a couple of weeks ago, he just had his 80th birthday. Jim is the subject of a short documentary, which I actually wish were a long documentary because it's so interesting. It's called Jim Morris, Lifelong Fitness. You can find that on YouTube. He's also done some wonderful uh, videos for PETA. And he's just the coolest guy ever. And if you're somebody like me who's a little bit older than you were last week, um, his inspiration on lifelong fitness is pretty cool. So, Jim Morris, welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. Well, thank you so much. What an in- introduction. I, now I, I feel special. Well, you ought to. You ought to. So, happy birthday, happy decade. 
So for our listeners who aren't familiar with your story, take us back more to the beginnings. How did you get started as a bodybuilder, especially back in a time when it was very unusual for an African-American man to enter this particular sport? I was introduced by a co-worker. I, I was working part-time through school at the New York Public Library, and uh, a co-worker of mine was uh, wanted to be a dancer, and he uh, was going to the gym in the evenings, and he invited me to go along to the gym with him one, one afternoon. And I did, and when I walked in, the other guys in the gym started asking me questions about uh, how I got my development, how I developed my chest and my arms and everything. And I didn't know it at the time, but I had a naturally good body, even though I had not been particularly athletic uh, as a child. And uh, I loved the attention. <laughs> so I, I kept going back, and the more I went back and got more developed, the more attention I got, and uh, that you know, one thing led to another, and here I am, sixty years later, still doing it. <laughs> That's fascinating. So, you were. When did you actually start? How long before you walked into a gym one day, and then when did you become Mister America? How long did that take? Uh, I was nineteen when I walked into the gym, uh, but I was thirty-seven. When I became Mr. America, I, it was never my goal to become Mr. America. Uh, I, like I said, I liked the attention, and I felt good to, to exercise. I enjoyed the, the camaraderie and the loyalty, the friendship, and just the overall good, healthy feeling. And one thing led to another, and I kept getting uh, compliments, and I kept competing and moving up, up the ladder. Um, and next thing you know, uh, at 37, which is the oldest anyone ever won the contest, I uh, won the Mr. America. And most people would say, well, that must have been the best time you've ever lived through. But anyone who's seen the film know it was really the opposite. Tell us what happened. Well, uh, the person who I beat, the person who placed second, had placed second the year before and the year before that. So this was the third time he placed second, and he had become the favorite over the years. After each time placing second, he had become the favorite for the following year. And then when uh, I, I beat him, his uh, fan club was very vociferous about their displeasure. Um, so the between that and the magazines, I didn't quite get the exposure that uh, the Mister America usually gets. Uh, but you know, it was it turned out to be a good thing because I continued training and I continued improving, um, and I, I kept I felt like I still had a point to prove. So what caused you to leave the sport? Say that again? Well, what caused you? I know that there was a, a break in your career. You, you left bodybuilding and, and then returned to it oh, later oh, in life. Oh, uh, after winning the Mr. America, uh, you know, here in, in Hollywood, in Tinseltown, you become a, a mini-celebrity. 
and I got invited to the the parties with the big names and everything, and I met Elton John. This was in 1973, and he had just had his first big hit, uh, and he was in uh, in Los Angeles to sign a contract with Universal Studios to go on tour, and he asked me if I would uh, go on tour with him. At that time, I was a sales rep for Carnation Company, um, and I, I said, oh, well, sure, I'll go on tour. It sounds like a whole lot more fun than being in supermarkets. So I did. I, I went on tour with Elton, and I was on tour with him for several years, on and off. Um, <clears throat> so that that was, you know, the sort of the big break. In, in I see. So at this time, you talked about carnation, so you weren't yet vegan. So I believe there was a dog who was very instrumental in your changing your view about animals and how we live. Can you tell us about that? A, a job? A dog. A dog, yes. I, uh, <clears throat> there was, uh, 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 down the block from, uh, <clears throat> from where uh, I bought a house in, in, in Los Angeles, one of the guys had a, uh, uh, a litter. His, his dog had a litter, and uh, as I was out walking one day, uh, I asked about the litter, and he said, "Do you want one?" So I said, "Let me go home and ask my partner." And I did, and my partner said yes. Prior to that, I hadn't uh, really thought of animals as being anything other than animals. I hadn't given them any personality or or, or any special uh, place in my life. But my partner, Jim Brown, who I was living with at the time, treated this new dog of ours uh, as one in the family. And uh, he would talk to her and she would talk to him. And I, I realized that this animal actually had, a, had feelings and had uh, uh, instincts and had, uh, you know, uh, what's, what's the word? I can't like think of it Like a personality. Yes, definitely personality. Uh, and uh, then we got another dog and another. At one point, we had five dogs. Just Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but I learned from him how to relate to the dogs. I remember one day in particular... Uh, after uh, not not long after getting getting the first dog, I I looked at her in the in the kitchen one day, and she looked back at me, and I could swear uh, her her name was uh, uh, oh God Laverne. Uh, did did you ever have a show uh, called Laverne and Shirley? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, well, we had two dogs, and they were sisters, and we called oh. them Laverne and Shirley because that was our <laughs> favorite show. But uh, I could swear Laverne looked back at me and said, hello. Uh, and I realized from that moment on that Laverne was a person. But it was because of Jimmy and how he related to dogs that I realized that uh, they, were, they were more than just pets and, and animals. And it's, it's reached the point... Uh, over the years, 
that I don't believe we should have pets. I, to, for me, a pet is another word for a slave because they have dogs and all, all creatures have their own culture, their own societies, their own habits, you know, and uh, they should have their own freedom. They should live amongst their own kind in their own environment, making their own decisions on how to live their life. You know, I have two dogs now, a woman down the block from me. She uh, died unexpectedly in her sleep, and her two dogs were going to go to the pound. Uh, and at that moment in time, which was two years ago, I didn't have any pets. And so I, I, I adopted them. And they're here now. One is 16 and the other is 11. But, uh, you know, uh, they they can't do what they want when they want. They can't go down to the river and get a drink of water. They can't go visit somebody somewhere. They're in this, this walled-in enclosure, this yard here. And I think that's wrong. I think they should have a much fuller life if they were able to live on their own with their own kind, in their own element. I, I don't see any difference between a pet and a slave because the, the pet depends on the owner. And that, that's another thing, that just that word, owner. I don't think we should own any other living creature. I don't think we have the right to own another living creature, to you know, invade their body, to neuter them, to spay them to do whatever it is we want with them. And that's, to me, that's wrong. You know, I heard you mention in the prior segment, Francione, and uh, I totally agree with him on, on all, all of his writings. Uh, have you well, read he, his? I, I have indeed. In fact, I've known him for, you know, 30 years. <laughs> Some uh, of us, had, you know, went, went back to the kind of, well, not exactly early days of veganism in America, because that would have been 1960. And, you know, I think Gary and I were both in grade school then. But, uh, you know, back to the, the late 70s, uh, early 80s, when things were really getting uh, off the ground here in kind of the, the maybe second stage. So, yeah, I've known him for a long time and really admire him. And I think there's so much truth in, in what you say. I don't know how possible it is now because you know we have these domesticated creatures but i look at my little dog forbes in fact i did a blog post about this a few months ago called how to love a dog by forbes moran and i felt like he was sort of channeling to me what to say and that what he was telling me was that he lives in two cultures and and he goes back and forth from human culture to dog culture. So he goes out to the dog run, and he has to do everything that dogs do and understand that way of being. And then he comes back here, and he has to shift back to living in a human world and that he does the best he can. And every once in a while, he kind of forgets which world he's in, and I just need to understand that. Right, right, right. Yeah, and, and you know, good for him, but I... I don't think he should have to make that adjustment constantly. I think his world uh, is is the best world for him. You know, uh, it would be difficult. Every time I, I broach this subject, people say, well, I'm not going to take my dog out in, into the forest or the woods and just abandon them. 
And, of course, I'm not going to do that with mine either. But uh, I think at some point we should say, okay, we're not going to breed any more dogs. We're not going to have any more puppies. And those that are uh, in captivity now, we should honor our responsibility and take care of them the best we can and just let them die off naturally and not continue this practice of, of what I call slavery. And I know that's a, a hot-button word, but uh, it gets my point across best. Yeah. Well, it, it's a fascinating point of view. I certainly think philosophically there are no holes in it emotionally. I think a lot of us who, who love these non-human creatures who have been part of our families, and I certainly agree with you about not using that word owner, I mean, to me, I am Forbes's adopted mom. (laughs) So, um, Uh, well, I refer to myself as Daddy constantly. Yeah, Yeah. Daddy, this and Daddy that, and sometimes I think it's more about me than them. Well, that that may be, but that's how it is with us humans. We tend to make it kind of about us, and yet we we've learned so much. I think some of us. So many vegans and people who who come to understand that all life matters, that all these these species have value, got that message because of a dog or a cat or some other companion animal in their world. So tell us where how you went from just coming to see that dogs were people to becoming vegan. Um. In, in, in 1985, I retired from competition. I was 50 years old, and I retired from competition. And uh, prior to that, while I was competing, uh, I, I, you know, the, the standard in, in bodybuilding is to consume two grams of protein, animal protein, for every pound of body weight that you have, and I was weighing around 200 pounds, so that meant 400 grams of protein a day. And I was just stuffing in all sorts of, you name it, chicken and milk and eggs and beef and what have you. And I was miserable, absolutely miserable. My joints hurt and everything. But being a, a, a bodybuilder, an athlete, a competitor, uh, anything to win, whatever they said would help me win, I did it, and, and I continued doing. But then when I hit 50, I said, that's, that's enough. I'm, uh, I'm not going to compete anymore. It's, it's the, the time to come. Time comes to hang it up. And uh, I was so relieved that I didn't have to eat so much uh, animal protein, so much food in the course of a day. And I immediately felt better. I didn't realize I was going to feel that much better. I thought I would just from the sheer volume of it. But uh, I I felt so much better, I said, well, let me see what would happen if I dropped it down even more. And I did. I I dropped down. I dropped the, the meat out, and I kept the fish and the dairy and the eggs in there, and I felt better. And it's been a process. Every time I would eliminate something, I would feel better. Something would clear up. The constipation would clear up. The joint aches, the arthritis, everything I, everything that bothered me, something would clear up. 
1999, I, uh, I developed the, you know, when you hit your elbow and you get that, that tingling thing, the funny bone mm-hmm. feel? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the nerve thing in there. Uh, I got that sensation on my left arm all the way from my neck down to my fingertips, and it wouldn't go away. It just wouldn't go away. So I went to a doctor, and he referred me to another doctor. I went to a, a cardio, cardiologist, and he referred me to a neurologist who referred me to a, a rheumatologist, who referred me to a hand specialist, who referred, and I kept going from one specialist to another, and nobody could find out what uh, what was causing it. And finally, I uh, hit one, one doctor who determined that it was my brain, brain cord in the neck that was being closed in by uh, the, the, the spinal cord. But... Uh, uh, I, I, it's, it's frightened me so much. I, it just seemed, I said, well, you know, every time I dropped something from my diet, uh, I felt better. Why don't I just go all the way, eliminate the fish and the cheese and the, the eggs and the milk and, and see what happens. And sure enough, everything cleared up and that sensation cleared up and, and, and everything cleared up. And I, but that, but at that time, I'd gone to about a dozen specialists who couldn't find out what was the matter with it. Um, so there I, I was, and you know, as a, as a vegan, I didn't really call it that. I was just trying to see if I could clean up my my system. Um, but it was, it was almost pure happenstance. I just kept following up on what worked for me. And so you retired from competition at this point, and you changed your diet, so you're essentially vegan, but yes. maybe without the word at that point. Right. So are, are, were you still working out in the gym? Oh, yes. I was still working out. As, uh, I, I made my living as a personal trainer in the gym, and I was still doing exhibitions and, and, and talks and things. But, uh, yes, I was very much still working out. And so what was the effect on your musculature? You know, all of the mythology and, and bodybuilding and, and weightlifting is protein, protein, animal protein. So did you just shrivel up and become a 98-pound weakling? The only thing I lost was the fat. <laughs> Everything yeah. else not only stayed but got better. You know, my my system, my digestive system, and actually all of the systems, the nerve system, the heart, the, the respiratory system, everything, became so much more fish efficient because it didn't have to deal with all of the byproducts of the animal pro, uh, products, of the animal sources. Uh, and once, once I went to vegan... Uh, uh, everything became easier. The lifting of the weights was easier. The breathing was easier. Uh, my heartbeat, my, uh, I would take stress tests, and they were just amazed at uh, the, the results on the stress test. Because my, my primary physician is a cardiologist. He's the head of cardiology at one of the local hospitals here. Uh, but not having to deal with all of the the 
crap in the animal products, my system, I, I hesitate to use the word perfect, but it was so efficient that uh, I, just, I just felt wonderful. Mm. And what is so fascinating, I think, to people who, who follow bodybuilding, even peripherally, and I understand that you're no longer competing, but when we see you in these videos, your physique is incredible. It would be incredible if you were 40, but you just happen to be 80. <laughs> I mean, what, what do you tell yourself? What do you tell other people? Now, I know you said early on you, did, you have a, the kind of body that likes to make muscle. I kind of understand that my dad was a prize fighter in his youth. He worked his way through medical school as a boxer. And so he had that real mesomorphic, you know, very easy for him to maintain muscle. And I know that's not everybody's body type. But even with that advantage, you're 80 years old and you don't consume any animal protein, and yet you look like Adonis. How does this happen? You know, uh, the body, one of the things I've learned is, the body over the, I think the, and this is just the, my own personal, uh, you know, idea. Over the entirety of his, its existence, however many millions of years we've been here, and I believe in evolution, and uh, the body has evolved systems just to survive, just to to live. That's pretty. That's all the body does. It doesn't make widgets, you know. It uh, it just keeps itself going in the best uh, possible physical condition, in the best health. And uh, over these last uh, hundred or so years, what was corporations and and marketing and the whole industrial complex and uh, I think our culture uh, is one of of a marketing culture, a corporate culture. Everything that we think we know and everything we do is actually the result of 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 corporations telling us this is how you should live, this is how you should eat, this is how you should think, play, etc. Uh, everything, and it's all built on profit and corporate uh, marketing. Uh, and, and other creatures, you know, the, uh, the parents would tell the children, um, yeah, "Eat this, don't eat this, live this way, and don't and don't do that." But with us, it's corporations. And once we get away from the the corporate uh, side of the culture, from the well, then it's the entire culture, from the corporate message. We feel so much better. It's so much more healthy. And the body knows exactly what it needs, when it needs it, and how much it, it needs. Uh, uh, and if we would just li- learn to listen to the body, get in touch with the body, rather than all of the commercials and advertisements and, and everything out there which is designed, it doesn't, it's not for us, it's for corporate, it's for profit. Uh, if we would learn to listen to the body and all of the things that it has developed over the millions of years that how this organism of ours has been here, that we'd be a heck of a lot better off. 
Mm, I'm sure we would. We also, Jim, live in a culture that is very uncomfortable with age. I think anything over certainly 50, people start getting uncomfortable. I'm 65 and believe that I'm aging really, really well. But something I do find myself doing when I'm working out or when I'm doing my my new sport, I have recently fallen in love with aerial yoga. It just makes me so happy. But I will sometimes when the teacher will will um, encourage us to do something a little bit more advanced, my brain will say, well, you don't have to do that after all you're 65. I don't want to give myself that message. So right. how, do, how do I avoid that, giving myself a, an old age pass? Yes, because what, whatever your brain <laughs> says, your body's going to manifest. You know, if I walked around saying, oh, my God, I'm 80, I'm 80, I'm 80, I will start looking and feeling and, and, and doing like I see other 80s or like I see in the movies or what have you, you know? Yeah. Uh, you, your body will manifest whatever your brain uh, puts out. Yeah. Now, you sent a, a very interesting kind of, of uh, esoteric uh, question to me. You said you wanted to talk about the body as the adversary, the other. What do yes. you mean by that? Yeah, we think of, at some point in, in the past, I think we separated, we, us, the, the person, I think, separated from our body. I, I think other species, other creatures, uh, act in accordance with the body, they, they don't think of themselves. They don't step back and look at themselves. Um, you know, uh, even in our language, you know, we talk about our body, the body. Uh, for instance, you hear, I hear people say, oh, my stomach is giving me a problem. Well, your stomach is you. It can't give you a problem. The stomach is you. Um, you know, you go to the doctor and say, oh, I'm having stomach problems. Well, there's a separation there. And, and you know, if something something happens, we, we blame it on the body. Um, uh, uh, let me give, give you an example. Uh, someone breaks their ankle and it swells up. The... Uh, the, the swelling is the body's learned response of how to heal that, that it's done over, like I keep saying, over the millions of years of its existence. It's learned, well, I've got a break here and i got this here and i got to bring in all of these fluids and all of these chemicals and all of this in order to heal it. That's the body's response, so it swells up. It's just if you have a, a big fire or an accident or something at a, an intersection, in come all the emergency vehicles and the, the <clears throat> ambulances and the fire trucks and everything, and you, you get uh, things back up. All the traffic backs up in there. Uh, well, the body sends in all of its emergency equipment to deal with that, and the first thing we do is put ice on it. We got to get that swelling down because if we get the swelling down, if it's back to its normal size, 
then it's better. Not necessarily so. You know, the swelling, you may get the swelling down from icing it over a period of an hour or a couple of hours, but you certainly didn't heal it mm. over that quickly. Uh, we, the first thing we do is attack the body's response to something. Uh, uh, and let me give you another example. We, uh, we eat something. Uh, there's a commercial. Uh, these, this family is at the, the fair, the carnival, and the wife says to the other woman, oh, Joe wants to eat that pizza, but he can't because it'll give him indigestion. Or he'll get acid indigestion. Uh, and the other woman says, well, here, take this, and uh, gives, her, gives her a pill, and uh, it's an anti-acid, you know, Alka-Seltzer or Tums or something. It's an alkali anti-acid. And that's <clears throat> what we're doing. The body, if, if Joe eats the pizza or whatever it is, uh, the body has to, uh, has to produce tons and tons of acid in order to digest it because it's not in our nature, it's not in our digestive system to digest whatever that thing was. It needs the acid to do it, which is not good for us. So uh, uh, that's the body's response. So we take an, an, uh, a, you know, an alkali, an Alka-Seltzer, uh, uh, to counter the body's response. Now we've got the, the the food there and the acid there, and and they they tell me in, in the commercial, it's acid indigested, too much acid, and it can't be digested because of, of it. Um, but that's the body's response and to produce enough acid to digest this whatever it is. Mm. Uh, we attack the body's response, and now we have a double problem. No, I completely understand what what you're saying, and um, we need to be. Well, I think more reverent, more reverent for the body as well as for the other forms of life on this planet. We have yeah. one and a half minutes left. I can't believe this has gone so long. Could you just address in that tiny amount of time something that you said in the film? You said that if you were to stop being vegan, you'd have to give up almost everything else you believe in. What do you mean by that? I'd, I'd have to change all of my other beliefs because it's it's not just the way I eat. It's the way I live. It's my lifestyle. It's 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 how I believe uh, I should live and everything else in the world. And I want to live with everything else in, in the world. I would have to change. Uh, 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 oh God, yeah, yeah, everything. I keep saying everything. Um, the way I relate to other people, the way I relate to other creatures. Um, uh, well, I'm glad you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jim, bless your heart. This has just been so, so fulfilling for me to get to talk to you. I hope one day we meet in person on somebody's coast or other. Thank you so much for taking the time to do the show. Thanks to Jeff, our engineer at Unity Online Radio. Please plan to join us next week when we will be inviting on the fabulous comedian, Jamie Kilstein. In the meantime, God bless you and eat your veggies. 
Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. In quiet moments of prayer, let go of any concern. Anchor your trust deep in the realization that with God all things are possible. Never doubt it for a single moment. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. If I were brave, I'd walk the races where fools and dreamers dare to tread and never lose faith. How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests will share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? A dream you'd like to achieve? A relationship you'd like to improve? Call into the show toll-free. For coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla. Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if we're all meant to do what we secretly dream? Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Liz Winter and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.